Welcome to the America's Podcast. I am John Schroeder, and today I am joined by Aaron Carter. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so, here. so Aaron, I got a chance to hear about your name through a fellow friend, uh, Paul Nixon from Albany. Uh, Paul Nixon has been just a huge influence in my life. He is such a just an expressive person. He's, he's fun to be around. And he told me when I moved to Americas, he said, all right, if you're going to move to Americas, I need you to meet somebody. And so uh, he mentioned your name, Aaron Carter. And so uh, we started the podcast, and he said, you got to get Aaron Carter to share a story. And so he gave me your number, and he said that, hey, I'm going to let Aaron know you're going you're gonna to talk to him. And so we called each other, and, uh, or I called you, and we talked through just kind of a basic rendition of what this is and a little bit of your story. And... Uh, you committed to come and be a part of the podcast, and so um, thank you for that, uh, to come and share your story. So tell me a little bit about your life. Um, I've already read, you, sh you share with me uh, just via email some of your story, and uh, man, there's, there, there's a lot there, and I'm excited uh, about hearing that story again just by you sharing it. So tell me a little bit about who Aaron Carter is, and how did you get to America's Georgia? Well, uh... It's hard to say who Aaron Carter is because Aaron Carter is still being made and still being transformed. Um, but I guess Aaron Carter starts, you know, as a child. And uh, I'm the son of a, I guess my dad was a farmer when I was a little boy. So my mom's a nurse. Um, she started when I was six years old or four years old in the emergency room, worked emergency, labor and delivery, the OR, the ER, I mean, she's done it all. She ended her career in, in uh, home health and hospice. And she said that, that that was the best thing is to ever watch. First, to watch God's miracle of people being born and babies come into the world. And the second miracle is people leaving the world and to be at peace and to see their soul at rest. Um, so I've had a lot of nursing uh, or I guess doctoring just throughout my whole life. Um, I remember one time as a child I got shot in the head with a BB gun and <laughs> my stepsister freaked out. Yeah. Called 911. The paramedic showed up. They called my mom. My mom's yeah. like, "If he's not dying, just leave him there. I'll come home." Yeah. Was and, this uh, like a friend thing, or was this like was a friend. family affair? Yeah. Okay. So a friend, a friend and I decided to have a BB gun fight. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, really stupid. Yeah. Neither of us were wearing safety glasses or goggles or face masks or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and my mom came home and cut the BB out of my head at the kitchen table. Uh, that's that's a good moment. Yeah. yeah that's kind of kind of who she is yeah. and, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot said about it after that I mean in hindsight it's a hilarious story but um, my dad was a, a, a local farmer I remember my grandpa owned as far as you could see in every direction we lived on a, a plateau in northern Utah say 15 miles from the Colorado border and maybe 20 miles from the Wyoming border. Wow. Um, harsh winters, 
real rugged mountainous. Uh, what we didn't own, he leased from the BLM for, it was a 99 year lease at a dollar a year. Wow. Um, he ended up losing all of it in my teenage years for uh, back taxes. But that's some of my earliest memories is harvesting broccoli and potatoes with my uncles. Mm. Um, my uncle Tom used to carry a salt shaker in his left pocket and pepper in, in the right. And we'd go down the rows and you know grab the potatoes and throw them in the pickup truck. And you always take one potato off, usually the smallest one, mm -hmm. and cut it in half. Half goes in the hole and the other half is what we get to eat. Yeah. And uh, the same thing, harvesting broccoli. I remember walking through there and they'd have a big old pocket knife. And as a six-year-old boy, I mean, the pocket knife was huge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In reality, it's probably only like six, eight inches, but yeah. it was big enough you could cut the broccoli off and throw it in the truck. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I got to tell you something. My wife doesn't doesn't believe that people should eat raw potatoes, and I eat raw potatoes, and oh, so yeah. it's it's I'm great. Uh, there's there's great no, knowing that that's a that's a thing. So. There's actually a, a man up in Buena Vista I bought potato from when I first moved here ten years ago, um, and I asked him. I said, well, "How much is it for a potato?" He told me they were like five bucks a pound. I mean, something silly. Yeah. And I told him, I said, "I don't want a pound. I just want one potato." And he goes, "Well, what potato do you want?" And I said, "I." And I started thinking, I want this one. How much for this one potato? And he said, he said, just one, you can have it. And I took a bite of it right there. He said, he said, you're you're gonna get worms, <laughs> parasites. Yeah, yeah. And I looked at him and I looked at that potato and I brushed the dirt off and I said, not you, there's no parasites there. And yeah. I ate that whole potato. <laughs> yes. But that's how yeah. I grew up. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a child we used to say, God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't know if that's a true statement or not. There's a lot of viruses yeah. and parasites yeah. and everything else, you know. Yeah. Now yeah. that I'm an adult, I'm not sure I want to fool with. But, yeah. That's great. But, uh, yeah, that's, honestly, that's my first memory growing mm -hmm. up, is harvesting potatoes with, with Tom and Shane and, and Jeff. And uh, my mom would drive the truck. And uh, crazy thing, asparagus is what... I want to say like $14, $15 a pound. Mm -hmm. And growing up, it was a weed that grew in the ditch. And it was good for nothing but, but feeding the deer and the cattle. Yeah. And uh, my mom used to go and cut it with scissors every now and again, and we'd have some for supper when there was nothing else around, but it was a weed. Yeah, wow. Um, and artichoke, mm -hmm. same thing. They're just nasty weed flowers that grow in the ditch bed, you know? Uh, they had planted them one year and then they couldn't get rid of them, literally. Uh, and, and I love that kind of thing. Broccoli, asparagus, spinach, yeah. potatoes, the plants that I grew up on is mm -hmm. pretty much still the staple that I live on today. Um, unfortunately, I pay for them today. It's <laughs> expensive. But, but yeah. That's so, great. So, young, infant, First memories, where does Aaron Carter go from there? Well, um, you know, I and honestly, I don't know where you want me to go from there. If you want to, if you want me to go to, yeah, uh, growing up and my dad going to prison and all that. 
yeah. share all that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, if you don't mind, I think that's a pretty good indicator of where you begin to feel probably isolated and trying to figure out, okay, who am I now? You know, come out of this. So, yeah. Well, um, right about that same time, six years old or so, um, maybe five, I mean, I don't remember exact dates. Um, but I do remember we moved off the farm because we couldn't, it was right after my mom went to work at the hospital. Mm. We couldn't, we couldn't afford to live. We couldn't afford to eat. Um, I remember we had a great big, huge pile of corn and it was sweet corn they had harvested and they piled it all up out right behind it. We lived in a single wide trailer. Mm. Um, we weren't allowed to eat any of it because it was seed for next year. Mm. But uh, all the mice and rats could go eat all they want, but we couldn't have any of it. And uh, my mom told me that that was the last, the final straw. Uh, my mom met my dad, Ken, um, who to me really is my dad. He's the man that raised me, taught me right from wrong, walked me through all of my social awkwardness. Uh, and in my teenage years. Yeah. Uh, where did they meet? I'm not even sure where they meet. They met at a, at a singles adult conference somewhere in Colorado, but I'm not sure of all the exact details. Mm -hmm. um, my mom said that they met, uh, they got talking, she prayed about it, um, and she knew that he was the right one and then she, when she came home, she had a dream about him. And um, we need to back up a little bit, though. Yeah. My parents are Mormons. Okay. Um, so they met at a Mormon adult single adult conference. Okay. Um, but she, she had visions or dreams about them going to the temple together, being doing all their little temple work, whatever together. Um, So she just knew mm -hmm. that he was the right one. Okay. Um, Did you guys attend uh, a, the, what, what, what do they call their weekly gatherings or? Church. Church, okay. Yeah. So, so did you guys go? We did. Regular attenders? Okay. Regular attenders. Um, to be worthy, mm -hmm. uh, you have to attend church every, every Sunday. Okay. Um, for those that don't understand and don't know, uh, Mormonism, they do consider themselves Christians. And I have met quite a few who are true believers in Jesus. But as a religion, they believe that the grace of God comes in after everything else you can physically do on this earth. Once you die, if you are good enough, then you get grace. Um, and you can go to one of multiple levels of heaven. Okay. okay. Um, so, so that so, she had dreams that you that Ken mm -hmm. and her need to be together, and so it it happens. It happens. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And so Ken comes into the picture. <laughs> right. And and like I say, I I'm pretty sure I was eight, nine years old, right around in there, um, and that's the point where I also, he was, 
unworthy with whatever he had going on in his life, so he couldn't baptize me. Um, but I remember sitting down with the with the bishop and multiple times, and you know, all this has happened to you. This doesn't have anything to do with you. You know, do you accept Jesus into your life? I mean, basically the same kind of counseling session that we have as Christians. And I did accept Jesus as my, my Lord and Savior in my life at that time, not necessarily uh, fully realizing that I'm also being baptized into a religion, that this was membership into a religion. Um, but even today, I still remember the conversations of, you know, you ask Jesus into your life, and he becomes your Lord and Savior, and all your sins are washed away, and you become a new creation, and you know, all of this bad that's happened to you, none of it matters anymore, and not, you know, none of this has anything to do with you. And you know, I agree. I I want, you know, <laughs> yeah, I want to be new. Yeah. So um, based on my background and what had happened to me, I think that was kind of the counseling session that went. I don't know, like I said, what everybody else goes through. You know, how those conversations look. Um, but, so for me, that was that was it. I, I agreed to it. And, yeah. Um, so I was eight or nine years old. Right. right. Okay. Right in there. I mean, I was older than eight. It was in the summer or early winter. My parents got married Thanksgiving, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, it was the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and it was... Right before that is when I got married, sometime in the summer, August, September. And it was actually my childhood best friend's dad that baptized me. Um, but, and I have all kinds of, not just emotional, but mental conflicts on all of that. Uh, it's an issue that my wife and I talk, talk about. Um, at least once a year, I'd say she brings it up. Yeah, um, she's continuously advocating that I need to be rebaptized, mm -hmm. or I should be, or you know, is is it real? Mm -hmm. um, so, but that's a whole separate issue. We can mm -hmm. get back to that later. Um, but uh, we moved from as soon as they got married, we moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, um, for business for. Uh, just um, family dynamics or a couple of different reasons one moving to Salt Lake City my mom got a job at uh, LDS hospital and she could make the same money in a eight-hour shift that it took her to make 16 hours yeah. in the little tiny town we were in yeah um, same company mm -hmm. you know Intermountain Healthcare is where she worked uh, but Bigger city, bigger money. Yeah. Um, and the other dynamic was is that that's where all of Ken's children were, all okay. my stepbrothers and sisters. Okay. So I am, I have a family. I have three biological brothers. Okay. Two stepsisters and four stepbrothers. Okay. Um, none of which I am real actively. Uh, what's the word for it? Uh, engaged with. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of all have gone our own ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember 
Jennifer's the oldest. She was in college when our parents got married. Um, and Ricky, or Forrest, is two years younger than my younger brother. So he's four years younger than I am. Um, and when we moved to Salt Lake, he, he came to live with us. And, and Kimberly, my sister, um, which put six of us in a two-bedroom, <laughs> one-bath house, which was yeah. very, very interesting. I remember there was four of us that shared a bedroom. And I had a dresser on this side, and you had a dresser on this side. And at one point, we'd line them all down the center, and this is our half, this is your half. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And bunk beds on this wall and bunk beds on that wall. Mm -hmm. um, and was, coordinate the bathroom breaks. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, and it, as a, you know, eight, nine, ten year old, it wasn't, yeah. that, wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But, uh, and the crazy thing, the house that we rented was right next to, or right, our backyard was the schoolyard. Okay. So yeah. all we had to do was just jump the fence to go to school or, you know, walk down to two houses down and go through the little alleyway. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't have far to go. But um, <laughs> I look back at it now and I didn't know any difference back then. I mean, poverty is a, I don't want to say a learned, a learned narrative or a, it's more of an acceptance. Uh, and I've come to believe the only shame in poverty is not doing anything to get out of it. Um, but too often we as human beings look at those in a lower class than us or that don't make as much as us, they don't have what we have, and we look down on them for it. Um, but we fail to see the struggles, and sometimes you just don't, can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you can't see the difference. Um, and that, Talking with my mom, that's kind of where we were at. She couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and she married this man that she knew they were going to be together, and it just compounded and made things worse. He was millions in back child support. They actually arrested him a couple of different times. I was not aware of until I was a teenager that he had been arrested and spent a couple nights in jail for back child support. Uh, he didn't have a license, a driver's license. For back child support. I mean, they were, and eventually my mom started paying his child support. Um, but that's kind of their their issue. Um, but that's that's how I kind of my growing up or my childhood will say. Um, about the time I was eleven or twelve, the dysfunction in my life caught up with me, and it wasn't just my life. I had no one really to look up to. My dad running, my mom working double shifts at the hospital. My dad running around trying to chase 10 children around, keep track of all of us. And I can only imagine the headache that he had. Uh, and then you try to find time for personal care and, and you know time with your spouse and everything else. I mean, I can imagine the, the overwhelming stress that he was under. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all of us got in trouble. I'm not going to say I was in any more trouble than my siblings. Yeah. Um, Were you able to process that? I mean, it definitely tell, like right now you're able to process, like my parents were going through a lot. Oh like, yeah. I understand now. But did you understand it 
at 11, 12 years old, or do you just feel no. like, I, I just feel like nobody cares. I feel like I'm here. I got, that's it. I just felt like I'm here. And we're here together. Yeah. We have no supervision. Nobody cares. We just do what we want. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah. you know, at 12 years old, I mean, I was so out of control. I don't want to say kleptomaniac, mm -hmm. but I mean, we were a whole family full of kleptomaniacs. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a grocery store within five miles of our house that me, my stepsister, my older, either of my older brothers or my younger brother or younger stepsister, we were allowed in. We'd been kicked out because we couldn't keep things out of our pockets and our hands to ourselves. Mm. I mean, I remember the stupidity of it. Like, I stole straight razors just to have a straight razor. Mm. I mean, what's a 12-year-old kid going to do with, you know, a little matchbook-sized razor blade? And it was a five-pack. I didn't even need them. I didn't even want them. Yeah. Uh, it just, I don't, I don't know at that time. I just, yeah. I just couldn't. I, it was a compulsive behavior I couldn't control. Mm. Um, but after my stepsister and I stole the check out of a mailbox, um, went to a, one of these check cashing places and went and tried to, she tried to sign it off that she was the lady and mm. had lost her ID and we just need to sign the check. I remember going to, going to court and uh, the judge telling my mom, either you get your son under control or the state will. Mm. And at this point in my life, I can look back at it and I regret all of it. But at that time in my life, I felt like, who cares? Mm. If you cared, you'd be here. And she wasn't. Um, but she sent me to live with some family friends, kind of a foster care situation. Mm -hmm. um, How did you receive that, her sending you off to that? Do you see that was a, a good move at the time, or do you see this like um, at the a time, challenge? At the time, I was indifferent of it all. Okay. Um, very rapidly, though, after I had got there, it was a huge positive my entire life was structured mm. um you get up in the morning they had chickens they had rabbits they had goats they had pigs um so you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is you do your chores mm -hmm. rain shine winter summer it didn't matter yeah you go and you make sure the animals have water you make sure the animals have food mm -hmm. and there was i mean they had 10 children um i fit right um, I would say third or third down. Mm -hmm. So there was one that was 12 months older than me and one child 12 months younger than me. Yeah. And the next one, you know, 12 or, or 24 or 18 months younger. So I was right there, but uh, it was very structured. Um, I remember during the summertime, we would ride our bicycles from their family farm five miles downhill into town to go to the swimming pool or go to the fun park or whatever, which fun park back, back then was just a park with the yeah. merry-go-round and stuff. There wasn't yeah. none of this bowling or go-kart yeah. racing, any of that yeah. we got today. But um, then you had to ride your bike five miles uphill back to the house. Yeah. Um, and they did, they had like a a, rec, a family rec center pass and a swimming pool pass. So once we got done with our chores and we did whatever, we could 
ride our bicycles yeah. down to town, or we could go up to the, they had a grocery store about three miles uphill the other direction, which that was a nice ride. You pedal uphill, and then you could turn yeah. around and coast back to the house. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, there were some apple trees on the way, so we could stop and climb an apple tree, get an apple on the way back. Yeah. Uh, so you had some structure, you had some accountability, hey, did you do your chores? You had some, you know, some of that community uh, that was there for you. Absolutely. Um, and so that that helped kind of shape, okay, this is this is good. Like I can kind of walk in this. Really I was, you know, even though I had that structure and I could work very well and I thrived physically and mentally, mm -hmm. I was still an emotionally broken person. Mm -hmm. And acting out that love or acceptance I had felt as a child, um, which you know, there's the saying, "Hurt people, hurt people." All I did was hurt somebody else the way I had been hurt, yeah. not even realizing that I was hurt and acting out. I also part part of what I was doing was I had to go into therapy every week. You know, once a week I met with a therapist. Um, I don't even remember who it was, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, I can still picture the building. I can't picture their face. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a good time and a, you know, looking back, a bad time in my life. Mm -hmm. um, How long were you with that family? Um, I was with that family about nine months. Okay. Um, however, in that nine months, because of the structure, I, you know, I was in Boy Scouts, um, and in that nine months, I had gone from your average novice, novice, I mean, whatever it was, you know, just starting out, to, I mean, I was one merit badge or two merit badges away from getting my Eagle Scout, mm -hmm. and then an Eagle Scout project. That's how well I thrived in that mm -hmm. rigid structure. Yeah. Um, and at, after that nine months, when they sent me home, and I couldn't do it. I had like a family living skills, yeah. merit badge to do, and uh, like a pottery or some kind of art, whatever. Yeah. And I remember I, I sat down and I talked to my mom about family, family skills. And she, she said, you know, we would, you know, work on this, that, the other. And within weeks, the dysfunction that I was living with. I mean, I was just lost interest. I went right back to doing what I was doing when it got me in trouble to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, however, while I was while I was out of the home, both my sister and my brother, just older than me, both got caught with drugs and they had put them in, in a drug rehabilitation center. Mm -hmm. um, they went to a rehabilitation called Turnabout, which was more of a uh, tough love of the 90s, and you're gonna carry the weight of your sins, you know, or, so as punishment, like, they would lie, or they would, you know, tell an untruth, they would have to carry around a phone book, you know, for a week. You tell two lies, now you got two phone books. If there were some of them towed around backpacks. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anybody was toting around like an army sea bag, mm -hmm. but I, I mean, it could get to that. Yeah. Um, but 
uh, when I came home, and like I said, I went pretty much right back to what it was, and then uh, at 14, my mom tried to pull a stop, and she got me out of school, put me in a uh, Christian private school, um, where, again, there was a lot of freedom there, but it was also very structured. Um, and I was able to pick and choose. Basically, we worked on the packet system. So I could pick and choose what packets I wanted to do, what I liked. Of course, there were required classes. You had to take an English. You had to take a spelling. Um, and I was all right there, but I loved math. And um, so that's what I always went to. If we're going to do busy work, I'm going to go do you know, math homework. Yeah. Um, that's also where I started drugs, uh, sex. Um, it's crazy that in the Christian culture is no different than any other culture. Mm -hmm. Teenagers are teenagers, no matter where they, no matter where they go, no matter what they do. Um, and it wasn't wasn't long before one of these friends that I had said, "Hey, you know, let's try this," and you know. That's where I smoked pot for the first time, uh, snorted coke for the first time. Um, and I don't know what clue my mom saw, but she yanked me out of there within, you know, like I say, nine months. And, and I, I still remember it was April, round around about the first part of April. And, and uh, and she said, well, you don't have to go to school this morning. You know, we're going to spend some time together. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. And uh, she's like, well, you know, about 8, 9 o'clock, she was like, get in the car. And I went and got in the car, and she was in the front seat. Dad was in the passenger seat, and I'm in the back seat. And we drove uptown all the way to North Salt Lake and stopped at some crazy building. Had this amazing moat around the whole building with a walkway up the front. We walked in the front doors, and that's, you know, about 10 minutes later is when reality hit. Mm. You're here, you're staying. And uh, yeah. sitting, in, sitting in a ring with another therapist, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. So another, I mean, just another opportunity, like another like, program that you're just kind of, a rehab that kind of just walks you through those steps. So you, right. you experience 12, that again. 12-step drug rehabilitation center. Mm -hmm. They focus on the 12 steps, mm -hmm. not for drugs and alcohol, but for life skills. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't the youngest one there, and I sure wasn't the oldest. I think the oldest person there was 19 years old and had signed himself in. Um, but there were, there were people there 12 years and up, mm -hmm. so between 12 and 18, really. Yeah. Uh, and they focused on behaviors and changing behaviors, fixing behaviors. Um, their focal point was you can't fix or you can't change the behavior until you fix what's broken. Mm -hmm. um, and so they used the 12 steps, especially step four, to really get to the root of the problem. Um, every day was uh, super structured. You never went anywhere alone. Uh, you always had a, 
I don't want to say sponsor, but you always had somebody higher up in the program with you. Um, once a week, uh, I'm, I met with a, well, we as a group, almost everything was done in, as a group in group therapy, um, but they brought in a sexual abuse therapist, one for guys, one for girls. Uh, I want to say there were probably about 10 or 12 of us in that same group. Um, amazing man, amazing therapist. His name was Alan Dibble. Um, he really kind of started me on the process of understanding how my body works and um, the dysfunction of being sexually abused and the criminology or the men mentality of how this has changed my brain and how I think different and I view things, I view the world different mm -hmm. than other people. Yeah. Um, because of that trauma, even though I didn't at the time view it as trauma, that was just my life, that was just the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you would, you would, at this point in time, you had gone to a couple different places, family dynamics with this, this family for nine months, uh, this, this center, center, and, and, and there would be a time, a time frame in which you were kind of moving forward and then kind of cycle back into some things. Mm -hmm. At what point, um, did you, did it really hit and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm I want to see a long-term effect. When did that take place? Was that a little bit older? Um, who was, who was way older? What, way yeah, older. what kind of influence? Who, who was that person? I would say the person that really made that influence uh, or started that process mm -hmm. would have been Ronnie Smith. Okay, and how old um, were you at the time? I was 20, 24. Okay, yeah. Uh, so my wife and I had both left the Mormon church. Um, she had started attending a Christian church. And uh, it was a church plant by a pastor. Uh, and it was all about non-denominational Christian. Non, you know, we're Christians and we're not adhering to the Mormon religion or Catholicism or, you know, the Methodist. I think those were the three, the three that were there in southern Utah when we were there. Um, later down the road, he came out and said, well, I'm, I'm Southern Baptist, and this is a Southern Baptist yeah. church. But, but yeah, he and I had a lot of, in my mind, yeah. a lot of real theological uh, conversations. Yeah. What, was your, what was your thoughts on uh, non-denominational Christianity at that point, meeting this person, especially as someone who has processed a lot of... Um, you know, different different experiences to try to help you in your in your life and through your brokenness. Did you see Did you see church as something that was good? Did you see church that was something that was just no, other people needed, but then this person was a little bit different? And in my life at that time, church was a negative. Okay. Um, the rigid structure, and you have to earn your way, or if you're not worthy enough. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually, I left the Mormon church, but I was also, I left on not so good terms in my mind. Yeah. Um, they told me that I wasn't worthy enough to fulfill the do, you know, my duties. Um, so, so you meet this guy and he's just, yeah. what does he say that just gives you that, okay, 
Let's, let's go here. Let's do this. Um, I never fully committed with Pastor Ron. And, I mean, he's the one that started me thinking and started me on this path. Um, like I said, he's a great man. Everything, every conversation we had had always went back to the Bible. Uh, he asked me one time, he said, well, why don't you come to church? And I told him, I said, you know, I can be just as close to God or closer to God on a mountainside with a fishing boat fishing than I'll ever be sitting in a pew at church. And he said, that sounds amazing. Can I come? Um, now, he never did go fishing with me because he was the pastor. <laughs> but he, he wanted to. Um, he actually took me on my first men's advance or men's retreat. Um, and that was very much Southern Baptist, mm. um, which it really didn't bother me that, you know, after attending church very infrequently, but, you know, that's where I would, at the time, would have called home or church home. Yeah. Um, and at that time, are you still dealing with some of these, uh, the addictions that you Described like oh, yeah. you're still working through that. Um, so you're meeting this guy, and you're kind yeah. of building this new. You're you're walking away from the Mormon Church. You're starting this new kind of journey. Still struggling. Still looking for things to help. Looking for peace. Yeah. Really. Um, but I mean, I had fully walked away from the Mormon Church. Mm -hmm. You know, three four years before that, I just. But I was drinking very heavily at that time. Uh, usually about a half gallon a day and chasing it with, you know, a 12 pack or more. Um, I had actually drank myself into liver failure at um, 20 years old, not even legal to drink yet. And I was seeing a dermatologist and going on liver treatments to, to restart my liver. Um, but, and Ronnie never judged me for any of that. He never made it a point to point it out. He never made it an issue. Um, he always just said, you know, there's there's another way. Um, and left it for me for when I was ready. Uh, as a Christian, we always talk about planting the seeds. Mm -hmm. He planted the seeds. Mm -hmm. And uh, too often we plant the seeds and we don't see what happens. Mm -hmm. Somebody else comes along and waters it. Fertilize it, but um, for a little tiny church plant, mm -hmm. he was planting a lot of seeds. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you're still in Utah. How do you get to Georgia? How do you get to Americas? Um, so I married my wife at 19 years old. She was born in Warner Robins. Okay. Um, her grandparents lived in Buena Vista. And most of her cousins on both sides of the family, her mom's and dad's side, all lived within 30 minutes of Buena Vista. Um, Plains and mom, mm -hmm. um, mostly. Um, so we came back here on vacation uh, when we first got married, and she told me, she said, she said, man, I love it here. I want to move home. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was a, I mean, Put it bluntly, I was a raging alcoholic in construction. Uh, I was making, I think, $18, $20 an hour at the time. Mm -hmm. Not 
I mean, 20 years ago, that was yeah. good money. Yeah. I mean, and I told her, I said, absolutely not. So long as I pay the bills, we're going to stay where I pay the bills. Mm -hmm. uh, jump forward, 2006, the housing market crashed. Mm -hmm. And I found myself unemployed. Um, still drinking like a fish. And, um, but I was now kind of realizing, you know, there's a whole other Christian world out there. Um, but we were, you know, with the housing market, we were losing everything. Mm -hmm. So on one side, my spiritual growth was starting to, we'll say, sprout or mature. I was, you know, being discipled, um, which had never really happened in my life, um, at least to that point. Um, but again, I, well, losing everything physically. I mean, we were selling vehicles, giving everything away. We bought our house back out of foreclosure once. Um, and uh, I was 90 days behind again, and I called a buddy of mine who was working in the oil field, and I said, you know, I need a job. And uh, he come through, he loaned me enough money to pay my house payment, uh, drive from St. George, Utah, mm -hmm. which is uh, about as far southwest as you can go, uh, to central Wyoming to go apply for a job and go to school and get a job. And um, I want to say back then he loaned me about three grand. Mm -hmm. Um, no strings, no questions, pay me back when you can. Um, and I went to the oil field. And <laughs> I mean, going from pretty much house and foreclosure to $24 an hour, mm -hmm. uh, working 80 hour weeks. Um, my wife and I closed up my business. I was a general contractor. Uh, we were Round about one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand in debt, uh, which we kind of saw things coming, and, and we didn't go out. You know, we were selling things and, and liquidating assets as we could, whereas we had friends and people in my circle that were going bankrupt for like fifteen to twenty million, mm -hmm. and um, we literally like walked away from from projects unfinished mm -hmm. just to stay out of the black yeah. or you know, out of the red and stay in the black. Um, but uh, I want to say it was after, after I'd been in the oil field uh, six years, I, I switched companies from Utah and Rocky Mountain based, Southern Rocky based, mm -hmm. to North Dakota. Mm -hmm. uh, double the distance to drive, but double the money. Um, where the top out in, in Utah was like $30 an hour, I would start at $30 an hour in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, and right about then, we came back here to see my wife's grandparents mm -hmm. and visit. And she said, she said, you know, I really want to move on. And the one thing I want to emphasize is this literally went through my brain. Mm -hmm. And my first instinct was to say no. I pay the bills, we're going to live where I pay the bills. And uh, literally in my brain, I said, what kind of prick tells his wife no when you're not home? Mm -hmm. 
she needs to be, where she is happy, and where she feels supported. Uh, and we kind of had this whole conversation throughout the day about it. She felt more supported and more connected to her family and cousins here mm -hmm. than she did to her own siblings there at the time. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so you get so when you get to Americas, you you and your wife get to Americas, mm -hmm. um, still carrying a lot of the weight. Have some people in your life throughout your life, just kind of little little blips. You're like, okay. Something's happening to me, right? Uh, you get to Americas. What does that look like for you and your wife? What's what's the next thing that impacts you when you get here? Um. Well, I guess the next thing that impacts me um, is my wife started going to celebrate recovery. Um, and I mean, she can share her story with that at a later date, but. Uh, Part of her testimony is, is that she started going to celebrate recovery to learn how to deal with my addiction and me. Um, I was still, even though I was, had been impacted by the uh, Christianity, and at at one point I would consider myself being awakened and yearning to know more. But when we moved here and we lost contact, I mean, we pretty much caught, cut contact with everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we moved here with a bedroom set and a washer and dryer. Mm -hmm. That was it. <laughs> um, so uh, she started attending Elville Baptist, which was right across the street from where we lived. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to say she, she attended there for probably a year. I only went twice a year. Neither time was Christmas or Easter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always felt that that was the hypocritical time to go. So I would go like two weeks before <laughs> yeah. and you know, the week after Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, so she started attending Celebrate Recovery to learn how to deal with me and, mm -hmm. and my active addiction. Um, and uh, I remember she invited me. She said, well, why don't you come down here and just meet the people that I'm spending my Monday nights with? Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, no, nah, you know, I'm really not that interested. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the next time she said, well, why don't you come and meet these people just to know that I'm safe? Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I don't know about that. And she said, well, we're eating supper. You know, you come down there and they're, they're you know, it's amazing, you know, food. And so I was like, all right. For supper, I'll go. Yeah. And uh, I was working a two-week-on, two-week-off schedule at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was able to come and attend two weeks and then be in North Dakota two weeks. Um, so when I say that we moved here in 2012, I never fully moved here until 2015. Mm -hmm. I spent at least half my year mm -hmm. in North Dakota yeah. or you know, nine months a year in North Dakota. Um, and then when I would be here, I'd be here for two weeks at a time, mm -hmm. um, which is crazy. Georgia says I own taxes, but I paid a boatload of taxes to North Dakota, <laughs> which I never get back. Yeah. But uh, throughout that time. Yeah, yeah. So when you started attending CR, what what impact did that make on you? Um, and when you fully 
integrated into America's You're Here Now? What, 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 how has CR, did you stay with CR? Did you, what I did. Was, what's that? Um, I still, I'm, I can't say that I'm a full-time attender. I, because of my job I have now, mm -hmm. I, I catch a meeting when I can. Mm -hmm. um, but to sit down and celebrate recovery, um, and what is Celebrate Recovery too? Just for those that may not know. So for those that don't know, Celebrate Recovery is a uh, recovery, well, it's a Christian-based recovery program. So when you hear people talk about Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, they always use the term higher power. Um, the reason being is because they want to be all-inclusive. They don't want to turn people away at the door because they don't believe in the same higher power. Um, and they want to be accepting to reach out and help all who are hurting. The one difference, the only difference, in Celebrate Recovery and those programs, Jesus Christ is my higher power. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm not ashamed to, to pray and ask Jesus for help with my daily struggles. Because as Christians, when you start getting real with, with yourself and other people, you realize that you still struggle. You still have problems. Um, and biblically, it says, ask and pray for one another. Mm -hmm. Share your problems. Share your addictions. Um, it all depends on the... The translated version you want to use but basically share your life with one another and pray for each other mm -hmm. that you might be healed yeah um so and then celebrate recovery brings back all the original scriptures that the 12 steps were founded on and we use those with the 12 steps the way that the the author originally intended them to be used yeah um so, <laughs> Celebrate Recovery is, is a 12-step, a, a uh, I'm not saying self-help, mm -hmm. it's definitely not a, you know, I, I can't fix you. I mean, my best decisions got me there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. but I can sit there and I can point to Jesus because he's the one that will help you. Wow. He's the one that will heal you. Mm -hmm. He's the one that will fix you. Mm -hmm. um, so you go through this CR, you're a part of it, and is that what you attribute to um, your um, release, rescue from addiction at that point, or? Working through the 12 steps again, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and really adhering to them. Mm -hmm. um, and honoring God mm -hmm. in, as my higher power. And uh, asking for that, you know, healing power or healing presence of prayer in my life. Um, and admitting my faults and my flaws to, to those people around us. Um, Celebrate Recovery is, in my opinion, the most genuine group of Christians I've ever met at multiple different Celebrate Recoveries. You find people who generally care who generally seek Jesus mm -hmm. in most, if not all, their affairs and everything they do. 
they let the chips fall where it is and they just ask God for guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my opinion, that's what church is supposed to be like. Yeah. Um, but it's ours and it's our sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It's our peace. Um, but both of us are very active in Celebrate Recovery, both here in Americas and in, in Albany, mm-hmm. where, where we met our friend Paul Nixon. Yeah. Um, some great people down there. Mm-hmm. Great people. Um, and the one thing I do want to add about Celebrate Recovery is it's a multi-denominational. Mm-hmm. Anyone that claims Christ to be their higher power or Christ to be God is welcome. Yeah. I mean, all are welcome. Yeah. But uh, but it's explicit in, in its in yeah yeah in that yeah in that understanding of who 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 are we looking to for help right healing right. rescue right so not to get off track but yeah. you know I spend my I work three and a half days a week mm-hmm. um, I get my forty hours usually by noon on Thursday mm-hmm. uh, Thursday afternoon I go down to New Life. Uh, I want to say it's an ACR, or it's a community resource center for addiction. Um, at first I was running a Bible study or leading a Bible study. Um, that kind of worked and kind of didn't. There are some people down there that are interested in a Bible study and going through the Bible verse by verse, book by book. Um, but there's more people there that just want to know how God is in their life. How God works in recovery. Where was God in my active addiction? Mm-hmm. Um, and where was God in all my misery and suffering? So my Thursdays are more spent, I guess, just being present and answering questions and walking people through that process. And essentially, that small part of discipling or planting seeds. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that you mentioned uh, in our email correspondence was, um, and I'm probably going to misstate it, but um, this idea that like the addictions in of, of themselves are, we think that they're the drugs, the alcohol. But there's like there's there's a deeper level that that people need to tap into to recognize, and and when you're not in that world, you, you don't understand that. Or, That's right. So so people who are ad- addicted or strung out. Um, what people don't realize is that they're hurting people. They're lost. They're confused. They don't know where else to turn, what else to do. The drug and alcohol scene somehow became normal. Um, I've been counseling a guy um, who ended up in a drug rehabilitation center. He went to prison at a young age. Um, lost everything when he went to prison. Lost his children, wife remarried, um, came out, met somebody else, remar- or got remarried, uh, screwed up, however, ended up back in prison. Uh, he spent more of his adult life in prison than he has out of prison. And his problem is he just doesn't know how to relate. He doesn't know how to function. And so when he comes out, I mean, he has no friends, nobody. So when he comes out, the first people that are accepting are the drug addicts and the alcoholics mm-hmm. because they're, it's a revolving door. They're in and out. They understand. Yeah. Um, so he's trying to 
reintegrate himself into society and into to life. He realizes that what he's been doing hasn't worked. And now he's saying, how do I do this different? Yeah. And somehow in this celebrate recovery process, Jesus has become his higher power. Mm -hmm. He might not have been, or it might not have been his higher power when he started, but mm -hmm. 12 months later, he's all in. Yeah. And how do I live and how do I live well? Mm -hmm. um, how do I become yeah. a, a good part of society? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where my focus is. I realized that, you know, I'm never going to be Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. Billy Graham was a great man. Um, and I'm never going to be, you know, some kind of great mm -hmm. biblical apostle. Uh, that's not what God's called me to be. Um, God's called me to be a gardener, mm -hmm. is the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, plant the seeds he wants me to plant. And I water and fertilize where he sends me. Um, so, yeah. So you that's one of the things that you feel like as being a part of Americas, you know, and, and other places too, but I mean, uh -huh. being right here, here, right here. Um, we talked earlier, right before we started, just the kind of this, the future of Americas, where, where we hope things to be. Um, and, and one of the terms that you used was, you know, this idea of as, as Americas moves forward, healing needs to be a part of that. It um, does. And so give me, give me your thoughts on, on that, on just that idea of, Man, you, 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 you probably know people in Americas, or if you don't know them personally, you know that there are stories in Americas where people, again, we're not just talking about the addictions and like what we see, but the underpinning of those things. What would you hope to see in the future as Americas moves forward in that sense? So, now this is strictly my opinion, and I, there's going to be a lot of people that want to argue this or differ with this. Um, but there's still a lot of racial segregation that goes on underneath the surface um, and unfortunately it's a learned behavior uh, the community I grew up in or as a teenager well even as a child I don't remember a single black child at school not one as in high school there was one in my in my high school there were three in the entire county I lived in six no three six total but three of them were in high school and spread out between four different high schools um, so I didn't grow up with a whole bunch of uh, racist comments or remarks um, and unfortunately I have been called a racist to my face it hurts I don't see color you're just a man. Act like it. If you don't know how to act, we could talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, because somewhere along the way, and like I say, this is just my opinion, they that people give each other a bad a bad hand up, mm -hmm. a bad shake. You know. Um, so for starters, that's where people are people. We're all people on the side of God. Mm. And I'm, some of my best friends are, are men of color here today. Um, and it hurts me that, that they have been hurt by people's blindness. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I would start. 
Um, the second place I would I would go is with recovery centers. Uh, our recovery community is very small. I would honestly say it's it's sick. Not not from a, a dysfunctional standpoint. Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean, I don't attend, so I assume that they function the way they're supposed to. Narcotics Anonymous, I assume they function the way they're supposed to. Celebrate Recovery functions the way it needs to to stay healthy. But as a community, we look down on people who are addicted. Um, and as soon as, as soon as we look down on them and we turn our back and we don't give them the help, we don't see them as people anymore. We see them as junkies, uh, crackheads, alcoholics, uh, child abusers, family abusers. Uh, but we really need to heal families and heal people to help our community go forward. Whether that's from drugs and alcohol or whether that's just training people how to be better parents, mm -hmm. better stewards of what you've got, uh, better stewards of your finances. Mm -hmm. um, this is the one thing that, that first impressed me about Georgia. Uh, not everybody needs to have a, the, the newest, biggest truck. Thing, which was insane crazy about Southern Utah is no different than California. I mean, everybody's got to have the same, the same truck with a 10-inch lift and great big huge wheels and tires. And people here, a lot of people here are, are all right just being genuine and real. Um, but I learned very quickly that they turn a blind eye and oh, I don't have those problems. So I don't need, I don't need that. And in, in reality, I haven't met a single person that doesn't need celebrate recovery. Mm. Everybody needs a little more Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've noticed, just uh, again, just coming into a new community, uh, the idea of neighboring, uh, especially again, you know, one of the things, you know, you you, you buy a house or or, or you're renting, um, and you don't know the people around you, and you don't know their stories, and you may see how they interact. Um, you know, get into their car, and and they may interact or they may act differently. They may have different dysfunctions mm -hmm. in their lives, in in your mind. But the reality is, is that what you're stating is, is hey, as good neighbors, we need need to be aware that uh, that people's actions are part of their story. Absolutely. And. Uh, and it seems to me that being a good neighbor is being aware that people, people have stories that you have no idea what they're experiencing, and the desire to be a part of something that's that's even greater than what they've experienced, but they need someone to to be willing to risk that, that's to right. sacrifice, to say, hey, you know, I again, would... not how do I help, but how do I come alongside of you. Um, and tell me a little bit about what's going on, um, and it, it's needed, right? Absolutely. And the so. empathy to say, I, you know, I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? that's very, very important. So, and I think, like I said, coming into a new community, paying attention, 
meeting you, becoming more and more aware of every city. Every city has good things. Every, th every city has things to celebrate. Every city has things. There's parts of our city that are broken, and the reason why they're broken is because people are limited, and they're broken. And uh, again, not coming in as, you know, I'm going to come fix things, but I just want to come and be a part, and I need to hear people's stories before I begin to start assuming I know this person <laughs> because of the way they're acting. Maybe there's something that I need to learn from them. Um, and, uh, and I think that's very, very important. So, and I think your story helps with that to be a part, um, you know, um, you sharing your story with us um, is another testament of you, you don't have to be a byproduct of the things that happen to you, uh, especially if they're negative. You don't have to be that. That's not what defines you. Um, other things can define you. Um, and for you, it's, okay, well, I, I met this God named Jesus, and and He has come to define me, um, and I think that's really really important. And you're giving that out to others. You know, you're not in a corner just saying, "Hey, it's just me now." You know, I'm fixed, quote unquote, or I'm being fixed. It's other people need to experience the same things I'm experiencing. And I think that's part of neighboring um, is is, so is willing to give that out to others, uh, and you being an advocate for that, I think, is very very important. Well, um, and in the Christian circle, we talk about it as disciple. Mm -hmm. um, in the addiction or uh, recovery community, we call it being a sponsor. Mm -hmm. In the mental health community, we call it coaching mm -hmm. or life coaching or skills coaching. Uh, but the reality is, it's all the same thing. You're teaching the person under you to mirror you. And if we can all learn to be discipled and follow and serve the community around us and create or have disciples mirror us, we could have a whole community of servants. And we could fix the community in light years. We record time. Yeah. If, if we would all just figure out how to serve one another. Mm. and to serve one another well. Yeah, that's huge. Well, Aaron, uh, I, want to, I want to end our time together um, just with some kind of rapid-fire uh, questions just to kind of get to know you uh, a little bit more. So more on the light end of things uh, in the sense that, um, yeah, just your personality and kind of what, what you like to do. So uh, let me ask you this. What is, what is your favorite restaurant or favorite food? However you want to define it. Uh, my favorite food, I would say, would probably be Mexican food. Okay. My favorite restaurant is definitely Euro City. Nice. Uh, okay. Which is not It's right across from here. Yeah, I see right. it. I see it from over there. Amazing people. Yeah. Amazing food. They have amazing stories if you have time to sit and talk to them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, what is your uh, most recent favorite uh, movie or book that you've read recently? Um, well, I read more books than I, well, I listen to them on Audible. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say the favorite one, oh, I can't even remember the lady's name or the title of the book. It was 
becoming a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Oh, uh, my phone will unlock. Oh, let's see. I need to go. So you're an audible guy. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I put my earbuds in, and yeah. He, some people think I'm crazy, mm-hmm. but I will literally put my earbuds in, and it doesn't matter what the book is, I can be asleep in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. Multiply is the one I'm in the middle of right now. Mm-hmm. Francis Chan. Jesus over everything by Lisa Whittle. Nice. Jesus over everything by Lisa Whittle. It's yeah, good. That's the best one I've read yeah. in a while. Yeah. Um, um, and and you, you also mentioned if someone wanted to become a part of CR or knew someone that CR would be a good place for them to start, a community for them to be a part of. You said they meet on Mondays? Monday night, okay. 6.30 at? At Cornerstone Church, 245 Southland Drive. Okay. Um, okay. We meet in the education building behind the church. Mm-hmm. The entrance is actually on Upper River Road, mm-hmm. not Southland Drive. So you just drive around the corner. There's a whole other parking lot entrance. Come on in. That's, you know, the, there's a white sign on the door. Yeah. It says Celebrate Recovery, and about, we'll get around to putting out a great big yellow one. That's great. That's great. So, all right. Uh, last, last question. Um, favorite go to karaoke song? I don't karaoke. You don't care? You don't Better. sing? No. Not I, at all. I grew up like a bullfrog, so we give you a whole other question okay. if you need it. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, no, yeah. So, what favorite song? Do you... Um, lately, I listen to exclusively contemporary Christian music. Okay. Um, okay. Casting Crowns is kind of mm. my favorite group at the moment. Okay. Um, and I mean, I know most of the words to m- most of their songs. Yeah, that's great. But uh, five years of listening to pretty much nothing but contemporary Christian music, I yeah. fe- feel like I'm pretty well versed in most of the songs. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Aaron, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing some of your story. Uh, again, there, there are so many people um, that have maybe similar stories or know, know people with similar stories or... Uh, again, as a neighbor, see other people in their in their scope that may need to better understand what people are experiencing, um, especially if their behaviors look like that, and they're just like, well, what do I do? Where, where do I come into to play? Or, or help them better understand, don't just look at them for their behaviors, understand there's a story there. And so thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, I've been encouraged by your story. And, um, and, I, and I look forward to being a neighbor in Americas uh, and just continuing to, to fight the good fight uh, and to build a thriving city here in Americas, Georgia. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it.